You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. You are now entering Magnified Studios. Welcome. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents It's Hard to Find a Podcast. Covering your favorite indie bands from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Put your tape decks on record. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. And we are wrapping up Pedro the Lion with this episode, with a very special episode. Mm. Um, interview with Brandon Vetter, who did the 2019 documentary strange negotiations hey and we have an awesome conversation yes and rad dude rad dude we we talked about after you know after we ended we're like john you were saying oh man we could i just could have kept talking to that dude yeah man and isn't that always the way we have mm. we have we have such cool people on and we're like it's true are we like are we like are we friends are now we or friends? <laughs> <laughs> we can like, we just become best friends but, yep uh, and you know we're gonna have a studio with so much room for activities. Um, <laughs> yes, we need that. So, but we have a great conversation ahead. So I think we should get to that because after the conversation with Brandon, we need to throw down on our Pedro album rankings mm. and our set lists, which is going to require stuff. some some conversation. So, yes, why don't we? get to this interview with Brandon Vetter. Well, today, John on Magnified Pod, we welcome Brandon Vetter. He's an award-winning filmmaker known for his music videos, documentaries, narrative films. In 2019, his documentary about David Bazan, Strange Negotiations, premiered at South by Southwest to critical acclaim, which we will talk about today. Brandon, welcome to Magnified Pod. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we have been, as you know, been going through um, the discography of Pedro the Lion primarily and since for the start of this fourth season. And we had a lot of people who felt like it would be inappropriate for us to not cover Curse Your Branches. So we tacked that on last week. I saw that. So, uh, and this interview with you feels like um, this is sort of the culmination of this section of the pod and talking about Pedro. And it feels... It feels like an, uh, an appropriate ca- appropriate cap to this this part of the season, um, kind of uh, getting to talk about where uh, your experience with the film and making the film and with David and uh, kind of this new era of Pedro that kind of started where the film ended. So I feel like it's a, it's, and we just had covered the two most recent albums. So it feels like an appropriate time to have this conversation. So we appreciate you taking the time with us. No, for sure. I think it's, it's going to be fun to nerd out about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope we get to touch on stuff you haven't talked about in other interviews, uh, cause we're going to go granular, um, yeah. <laughs> but this isn't one of those questions. This is one you've answered a bunch, but how did the movie come to be like you, you're a filmmaker, you were a fan of Dave's music, but how did you decide that his story would be a good one for a a feature length documentary? Did you cold approach him? How did that process work? 
Yeah, you know, I uh, I was just finishing up today listening to the first episode you guys did. Um, and Andrew, you say a bunch on there. I wish that, that you know, I, I would have had this voice in my head or I wish I would have yeah. had this record, um, you know, to kind of walk alongside during, you know, this kind of formative period in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, like I, I heard, you know, so kind of put a pit in that idea, but I, I heard a, um, a podcast with Dave. Uh, I was finishing a, a film called In Pursuit of Silence um, and kind of sensitive and looking for what was next. Um, and I was living in LA at the time and had a long drive to Mexico for a shoot and um, listened to the Pete Holmes, You Made It Weird with Dave on it. Um, Ooh, and so I, good. Yeah, <laughs> so good. And I like, you know, I had kind of lost track of Dave um, and Pedro, but, you know, had been a fan through the early records um, and was just fucking floored by the way that he articulated his experience um, with faith and and this changing of a worldview. Um mm-hmm you know, in a way that like really struck me as uh, something that I hadn't really seen covered well in, in art. You know, I think that so many times, you know, stories are told on either side of that fence um, rather than kind of like right in the middle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the way that he kind of made this experience available um for other people throughout the process and um yeah so anyway i was just kind of blown away by that interview and i i went home um and i ended up downloading uh every single one of his <laughs> lyrics for his song starting from you know the very first release um to the most the most recent thing that had come out at that time this was like 2016 i think um and he was doing like the monthly records um Mm -hmm. and i just i i printed it all out and i kind of bound a book i actually have it somewhere here in my studio um but i kind of created a book um because i really wanted to 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 read it in one sitting as um you know, kind of this, this story. And, you know, like, I've always thought of a feature length film as such a special piece of art, in terms of like, its form, and its length and everything where it's like, there's just something about that, something that can be truly life changing about this, like, hour and a half thing, um, or, or a one sitting kind of experience. And so, you know, I sat down and read through it and just saw this insane arc, um, you know, that that like, you know, you're saying, Andrew, I was just like, man, this has to be available for people like without, you know, like going through and listening to all these records and having, you know, it's just like there's so much work to do to to get to this gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I felt like, you know, maybe I could help 
create an opportunity or a way in kind of pave a way into some of this genius in humanity um, that would that's not quite available without like the full picture of the thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I called up friend of a friend, new Dave. And so we got connected and I called up him and his manager, Bob. Um, and yeah, had a, had a great conversation. It was funny. Cause I, <laughs> I, I referenced, um, Wilco's documentary, I'm trying to break your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of just kind of like the access and the blah, blah, blah. It turns out Bob used to manage uh, Uncle Tupelo and <laughs> right. wow. was very, very much on the J side of things and was just like, fuck that movie. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. They like, you know, Tweety wasn't fucking puking because of that. Like that everything was wrong in that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, <laughs> that's not why I was referencing it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we had a great call. And then he came, he was on a living room tour um, and he came and played L.A. and we had uh, coffee and, you know, kind of started the process. Was he receptive to the idea? Did it take some warming up? Was he like on board right away? Yeah, he was he was uh cautious you sure. know i think that they that uh, you know i had been the, the fifth or sixth filmmaker that had kind of tried to court and start this process um and so i think he was he was yeah they were just kind of cautious where it's like well you know as long as this or that um and yeah the the subject you know director relationship and i'm sure sure we'll get into this as the conversation evolves but you know it's such a it's such an unwieldy beast and such an interesting you know kind of um yeah it's just it's a it's an it's a relationship unlike really any other i've experienced in life and through the you know six or seven films i've made they're they're, they're all so different in terms of what it takes for me as you know a human and a storyteller and the boundaries of it all and you know it gets it can get messy um you know but it can also create you know something really special so yeah you think there was something about the way that you wanted to present his story that was unique compared to maybe other filmmakers that had courted him or was it your filmmaking background in particular? Was it a combination of those things? Like, do you have a sense of what sort of yeah. committed him to this one? I think it, I think it was kind of the pitch of what I was interested in the angle, mm -hmm. you know, that I was interested in, um, you know, and it's, it, it, and you guys have been kind of steeped in this over the past couple of months, but like, you know, that the period of those records, I think is such a, specific period in his development as as an artist and a thinker and and a person um you know that like it was kind of perfect for a movie you know it's like he started a new chapter 
with these hometown records, um, you know, that go completely beyond the movie in a much different way. Um, and I think maybe he, he had a feeling, you know, that that was kind of happening and he was kind of changing course a bit. You know, he had done the deconstruction, um, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of before that became a big thing. Um, right. And he, I think he was on, he was ready to be on to a different conversation, but this was a really good way to kind of put it all into, you know, something that, that um, was available uh, for a different audience. Yeah. And I get a sense from going from Curse Your Branches and going through some of his solo stuff to the reuniting of Pedro that he's continued his own uh, interpersonal work and the deconstruction was part of it, but it's not the entirety of it. And you see a lot of that, the struggle and the work and what he's processing on these new albums. And he's, he's not, doesn't seem like the kind of person who stays stagnant in what he's doing. I think he's constantly working and evolving not just musically but it seems like he's his uh interpersonal growth is is kind of a an important part of who he is um but i want to take a step back uh for for a second um before we get too into the weeds about pedro i want to get uh, a little bit of background about you and becoming a filmmaker and and kind of your your process so how did that start for you? What were, how did you get into that? Um, what were some of your influences? What, what launched you on into this, this career? It wasn't kind of like the, the Spielberg or PT Anderson story where it was like, I always had a camera in my hand from when I was a little kid and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, um, you know, as soon as I kind of got the bandwidth to, explore and you know start expressing myself which was really like in college like I was just trying to keep my head above water until I got into that kind of zone um and then this you know uh, music has always been a huge part of my life and uniformly in bands and stuff um and yeah this when i started you know really kind of getting into film um as a viewer you know like i it just was so clear to me that this is like you know for my money the most complete art form like they're you know they're with with sound design and acting and set design and you know all all of every art form you know, is music and every art form is, is available to be used. Um, and so, and, you know, documentary is kind of this, the, it's, it's different, but all those things are still available. Um, and so I began when I was in college, a uh, little college, like I went to a community college at first in Northern California. Um, and just started, you know, kind of writing and making short films. And, you know, I would, I, that's when I kind of became like the always camera in my hand. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, going to festivals and shit like that. And I would be, you know, like making a film about it. And um, yeah, it just felt like I was never, it, it became clear that I, I, that was my way of communicating. People understood what I meant the most fully when I put it into this, this format. Um, so yeah, I, I started shooting music pretty early on um, and started kind of jumping on tour with bands and just kind of like doing it for free or cheap and, you know, really like kind of figured out my cinematic language um, through shooting live music, like just in terms of framing and kind of movement and energy and, you know, like it would be, you know, shooting four or five nights a week and just, you know, kind of like getting to make all the mistakes and uh-huh. the, you know, stakes not being super high and, and just kind of, you know, but it was always like to this, to music. Um, and yeah, then I, I kind of used that job as a way to make enough money to go to film school. Um, and ended up at film school down in LA um, and was able to kind of, you know, like really hone back into this kind of narrative world of filmmaking um, that was just, you know, is still, you know, uh, much harder and more unavailable in terms of like, um, you know, you just, you can just start a documentary. um, Right you know, and, and finance it as you go and make it up as you go, where in the narrative world, you know, there, there's a lot more that kind of goes into before you start shooting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, then, you know, out of film school, kept shooting music and started to um, collaborate with, with my uh, 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 cl- frequent collaborator, this guy, Patrick Shen, who I've made a few films with um, and made the first film uh, together was called La Source, La Seuss, um, which is about a, a Haitian man who is a janitor at Princeton University and kind of this David and Goliath story of him trying to bring clean water back to his home village in Haiti um, right after the earthquake. Um, and so you know, that was my first, first time, you know, kind of putting together a feature length, um, you know, documentary and kind of understanding storytelling at that scale. Um, And then, man, we made so many mistakes with that film. And we like, we, you know, got talked into the fact that it was like, gonna be like an oscar movie and so we Mm. you know spent a bunch of the budget like screening it theatrically in new york and la and we had don Cheadle narrate it and he fucking took all of our money and (laughs) and didn't do any you know like uh, press for us and you know like it was just all these different things that kind of like and then we went with a distributor that that fell apart and you know Mm. like so it was just very kind of like quick introduction to the, the harsh ass business of filmmaking yeah from the sort of music side that you had experience with i mean 
for folks that don't know your brother is Eddie Vedder. Like, did you have, uh, was Pearl Jam like cutting your teeth on music filmmaking or was it more like you were already working on filmmaking and then the opportunity arose and you were getting more experience that way? Like, what was that process? Yeah. So actually Ed's my older cousin. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. Brother. So yeah, they, he, him and his brothers, um, you know, they all growing up, they were kind of like, you know, our true north when it came to music. And, yeah, you know, we they they lived we're all from Chicago, but we all kind of ended up in in California and they were down in San Diego and we were up north. Um, and every once in a while we would kind of get these trips down to hang with them and like come back with all these new ideas and new records and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then Ed actually lived with us for a little bit um, when we were living in Tahoe on his way up to Seattle. Um, and I, you know, I remember listening to like the, the first cassette, uh, you know, from like one of his very, very first bands. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, and we come from, um, we come from a pretty, uh, poor place, you know, uh, in terms of our family and, and pretty broken, um, you know, kind of family systems. Um, if you've ever heard 10, you kind of, sure. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, but you know, I think, I think Ed, like being him looking up to him and kind of watching him do it was this gift to me in terms of just like, it's, it's possible. Like you can do it. Like you're not just, you know, like, I, I don't know. I think, and, and I try to do that with my girls now or try to figure out, I have two uh, daughters trying to figure out that kind of thing of like what unlocks this potential and what, what gives you the, the kind of um, yeah, just the license to, to dream in a, in a really big way. And for me, it was watching my older cousin like become, you know, this this super famous rock star in, you know, uh, in that time. And so, yeah. And then after I had been shooting um, shows on a, on a much smaller scale for a little while, um, he in, Ed invited me to come shoot a, a concert film with them. And I was like 19 years old and I was, you know, like the youngest guy by, you know, at least a decade, if not more. Um, And, uh, you know, that was another massive, um, you know, kind of like learning experience in terms of just like, and I didn't, I like, he didn't actually even talk to me until the very end of the tour because he just, you know, like he didn't want it to be this nepotism thing. Um, And so, you know, it was very much like stink or swim and, and, you know, it was very like, Oh, fucking Ed's cousin, you know, like we got to deal with this kid. So, you know, and, and it was really rough at first. um, But now, you know, people that I still call really good friends. um, And one of the other things that I'll add, you know, just in terms of the music of it all is like, you know during high school you know like that curation and availability to all this this amazing music kept going because 
Ed and the band would do this uh, thing called the Bridge School Benefit, um, which was put on by Neil Young um, for his son's school. And it was this right. all acoustic concert um, that would happen in San Francisco. And we would we were living close enough to go. And, you know, it's like I got to I, I got to see Tom Waits live, you know, and oh, I got man. to see all, you know, this really interesting kind of mix of people that that you know has yeah just gave me like the dna that i needed to kind of understand storytelling through music so yeah so how does the research writing filming process differ for a documentary versus something like a music video or a narrative film I've been working more in narrative stuff recently um, and, and writing a lot more. And it's interesting because I find myself, you know, the projects that I'm kind of pitching and writing on are still based in reality, um, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of retelling of, of certain things. Um, so I don't, you know, like I've never kind of seen myself as like a world building storyteller. Um, like I'm, I'm very, yeah, like I'm just, I'm just so interested in the human condition and, mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't, yeah, like the metaphor of sci-fi or wh whatever it is, like has never really uh, interested me as a storyteller, obviously as a, as a viewer, of, you know, love it all. Um, but honestly it's 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 really similar you know um like and i think that making documentaries professionally first before i've kind of moved into this more narrative world um has been so helpful because i'm like i know how to do research you know right and i kind of understand in terms of that research what these emotional arcs and and what's worth kind of understanding and and including and what's not um you know and then even just like in in capturing and spending so many hours just filming real people in real situations um it's really sharpened my kind of instincts for um you know truth and uh mm -hmm. kind of real moments um so yeah i think they 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 go hand in hand in in a pretty cool way so i imagine your original concept or arc for a documentary has the potential for significant change since you're filming subjects yeah. in real time and news of the day may impact all of it uh do those decisions and changes happen during the filming process or do you make that change in the editing bay you know, that's one of the biggest things is like in the in the narrative world, you you make all these decisions beforehand and then you kind of, um, you know, push everything into that box that you've created, uh, whereas and then you just edit it, you know, editing at, in a narrative sense is is pretty easy, pretty straightforward, you know, like you have a script and you stick to that script. Um, right obviously if it sucks you you fuck around and blah 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 but in the in the doc world like 
you know, yeah, you have a loose kind of understanding of what you're trying to do, but you're also trying to capture reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're just kind of like getting all of the puzzle pieces. You're just, you know, everything. You're just shooting every single thing. And then you really make the movie in the edit. Um, but you, you know, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, because it's like there's there's so many stories uh, and there's so many, you know, when talking about, you know, any any of the films could have gone in a hundred million different ways, um, yeah. you know, but kind of understanding like the heartbeat of the story and what you're interested in in bringing out and making available i think is is kind of strict as i like to be you know because i don't know how that's gonna that's going to to come out and blossom i just know you know i just want kind of like this is what i'm interested in it's going to be up to the process to kind of see how we get there sensitivity is kind of the 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 superpower you know that you need the most when it comes to doc filmmaking in my experience that makes sense especially with this project where it gets so intimate and i wondered was that something you two had agreed on as an approach beforehand did it just kind of happen as part of making it because i mean honesty is such a central aspect of dave's art right it's not a surprise that depicting that honesty in the documentary was a major focus but was that an intentional plan or did it just come out that way it became pretty obvious pretty early that I wasn't going to be able to have a crew that it was just going to be me mm-hmm. and I didn't quite understand what that meant yet you know sure. then but you know usually and, and I've always kind of scaled up and scaled down in terms of crew stuff with with my films or music videos or whatever but usually you know like it's nice to have a sound person and it's nice to have another camera and you know, it's, it's nice to have some help. Uh, but this became, it became pretty clear quickly that it was just going to be me when it came, you know, if I wanted to make the film that I wanted to make, I think also kind of taking a page out of Dave's book in terms of just kind of like the DIY-ness of it all. And just kind of like, you know, he, loads in and loads out his own gear and he drives himself from show to show and for people that haven't seen the film you know a lot of the film takes place on a a house show tour a couple house show tours and you know we really had a a pretty similar rhythm mine uh actually much more gear and (laughs) you know it, it made a lot of sense that we would kind of be in the same rhythm and in kind of a solitary place and yeah, just like doing the work. Um, so I think, you know, we never really talked about kind of like the expectations of intimacy or whatever, but I think, you know, one of the first things that I kind of understood was necessary was that I, I don't want to do any sit down interviews, you know, mm. like, uh, kind of you know a standard documentary um would would focus on because it just um it just didn't make it didn't make sense like i wanted to blur the lines between you know um kind of fiction and and documentary and um you know just 
like yeah i wanted it to be confusing in terms of perspective um in a way that um would engage the audience and so you know i came up with the idea that i would just kind of set the car up as this this interview booth which is a fucking terrible idea because it's just the hardest you know sound wise and picture wise and everything it's the hardest place to shoot <laughs> period you know like i had to like you know tint the mitt with the windows every time we did it and you know like run microphones everywhere and you know like stick cameras to the windows and like this whole thing but it was really important in terms of like again it was about following his rhythm and mm. this is the place that he is most comfortable honestly like more comfortable than he is at home in a lot of ways you know yeah. um and so you know like to to get him in that space where he is so comfortable and we just have hours to not get it right you know um before yeah. the expectations are to get it right and to just find a rhythm you know and it was like tough at first and he was really kind of like stand you know like just kind of pushing back and you know like it took a while to get the rhythm um of that but I don't think, you know, it was it was absolutely necessary to the intimacy that that we were able to achieve of, you know, to do it that way. Yeah, that was one of my questions was especially those car scenes if it was a camera mount set up in there or if there were times where you were in there with him because were you ever surprised at what you got from him in, in certain of those moments, especially I think about the scene where he's crying in his, in the van talking about, you know, he's about how hard this is and how much he's away from his family. And he's, you know, talks about it being a miscalculation and everything. Um, when when you see things like that do you have like as a as a filmmaker are you like jackpot or are there or is there moments where you're like maybe this is too personal or intimate to share with people well so just so you guys kind of know and and the listeners know uh i would always sit in the front seat um you know okay. shotgun and gotcha. i would have and i had a camera mounted on the windshields back towards Dave and then another camera mounted on the passenger window back towards Dave. Um, I had those all kind of running into monitors, you know, that were on the dash um, in a way that Dave couldn't really see them, but I could, I didn't have to, you know, I, like I, I was obviously there's, there's, you know, plenty of technical stuff that has to kind of be, fucked with to keep everything together but the idea was that i could just sit there and have a conversation and just capture yeah i mean it's so hard because you're just kind of constantly just taking in all of this data mm -hmm. and making sure that it's being captured correctly and you know you're kind of making notes and you know uh but but also so much more thinking about like 
how to follow that question up and how to, you know, whether to give him, to continue to give him time um, to continue that thought or to change a subject, you know, because we also became very, very good friends during this process. And so I, I wanted to care for him as well um, during these times and, and respect the road that, that he was leading us down, um, you know, and, and, and I was always very clear that I was never going to put anything in the movie that he was uncomfortable with, um, yeah. you know, so, and because it, it, it was never going to be that kind of movie. It was never, it never had to have journalistic integrity, you know, it's, it's from his perspective, it's from right, his yeah. point of view. Um, so I wasn't really worried about that ethically. We worked to get to those points conversationally. Mm -hmm. um in a way that that i think you know was felt pretty responsible mm -hmm. i mean at the center of a lot of those conversations are these concerns you're talking about about um faith and how one chooses to um let their beliefs or, or their worldview you know fruit is this th this theme that keeps coming up in the movie mm -hmm. what are the fruits of our beliefs how does that actually play out and clearly that was something on Dave's mind, we're in 2016, we we're like, hey, the fruit of a lot of this American church does not seem to be uh, bearing out in the way that one would hope here. So can you talk a little bit about your background with that conversation? Like, if I'm not mistaken, you came to Pedro through sort of youth group culture, right? Like, what yeah. was your experience with that scene? Uh, that kind of came late in life for us. Yeah, it wasn't until high school, really, that I was, I was introduced to youth group culture and the evangelical Christianity world. I mean, that was a peripheral thing. Um, you know, one of my grandmas was, was very religious and tried to, you know, kind of instill that into my parents, but my parents were pretty wild. Um, and even through us as kids, you know, like life was pretty wild. So until we kind of landed in, you know, Northern California and, you know, kind of got some semblance of, of, you know, kind of a peaceful existence in high school. That's kind of when, you know, like the youth group thing started and, you know, it was really compelling to me. Parts of it still very much are. Um, and, uh, you know, but that said, I, uh, you know, in, in terms of this film and as a documentarian, I, I was able, I, I was separate enough from the culture mm -hmm. uh, where I didn't grow up in it in, in a way that, you know, like Dave did, or it sounds like you guys did, um, that I could still look at as, as, you know, an anthropologist to a certain extent, sure. um, you know, kind of an outsider. Um, but I had enough enough context with it to understand the nuance of it and um you know the rules so yeah it was kind of you know and and uh faith is the thing that i will continue making films about my entire life you know mm. like this is the thing that i'm most interested in um humans relationship with with faith um is yeah, that's kind of my central thing. Um, so 
this was a really good this this it, it was just this kind of beautiful way to to ask these questions and to push on some of these things that that I was already working through um, with this this person that knew how to express it in a way that uh, through both you know just speaking um you know at his shows and his art was really both really uh complex and helpful for me to do from kind of one step removed or one step back rather were there other uh bands or artists from that world that culture that were meaningful to you or that you stuck with or was pedro kind of one of the the big ones yeah, Pedro was was one of the big ones. I yeah. I was more into punk rock. Um, yeah, that's right. those days. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, who were you throwing down on? It was very much like Op Ivy and yes. you know show like, that tat, Andrew. <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know that that whole early rancid and I have two tattoos on this arm and they're both up <laughs> Ivy and rancid tattoos. So Beautiful. you're speaking my language, brother. <laughs> you know, you guys mentioned all of the Saddle Creek stuff, and you know that was, but that's like you know faith adjacent. Yeah, not like Dave or not like you guys, where it's like that was all I was allowed to listen to. You know, it was sure. like it was like outcast on one side and like you know op ivy on the other sure. side yeah. yeah you know it's one of the things that we we talk about a lot is how unique of a time that youth group culture was in the 90s that yeah. it doesn't really it doesn't really exist in the same way john and i talk about how a lot of the bands that we listen to like learned about from other kids at youth group and you go to youth group and you share music or you go to shows with friends from youth group and or you know that sort of thing it's it's i don't know it just it felt like a kind of a very specific moment in time that with all of its problems within the evangelical church there's still something very it's very special about it that we attempt to do our part to capture that uh that era by talking about these bands that were very profound to us during that period of time totally i mean when i when i kind of understood what you guys were on with the podcast it made perfect sense to me because it is such a unique time um that i don't think is just kind of like nostalgic and special for us i think in uh you know recent history it's a really you know the the yeah, the, the, the tides were changing and, you know, there's just, there's so much complexity to it that I think is worth, uh, you know, doing a bunch of podcasts about. So <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there is. I mean, that's why from the beginning, we always said culture, religion, and politics as part of this conversation about music too, because I think part of what we're trying to do in our own way is not dissimilar to what you're doing in Strange Negotiations, where it's like where we're at in this country right now uh culturally and and in terms of religion and how that's impacted politics and stuff like we can trace a lot of that back to sort of um what was happening in the 90s for this evangelical sort of subculture and the questions that you're asking in the documentary that dave is asking about where we're at sort of 
nationally are, are similar to the things that I think we're interested in sort of tracing back to um, what was this culture, you know, 20 years ago for us? How, how did this, uh, what might we have seen coming yeah. uh, from paying attention to some of that stuff? Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, we've, we, with the Trump of it all, you know, we kind of reached this, this apex in terms of, you know, kind of like the end of the road for evangelical Christianity in terms of being able to continue to pretend, um, you know, that it, that its values still aligned with Jesus. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it became undeniable at that time that that thing other things were being worshipped um yeah and so you know like that really i did a i did a crazy amount of research on you know in preparation for this film didn't use a ton of it um but it was it was incredible context just like honestly from you know the settling of america um and kind of pilgrim religion and you know this very apocalyptic version of of christianity uh until now uh, i started you know kind of putting together this this docu-series called i was calling dominion about you know kind of the this the, just uh, a history of american evangelicalism and because again it's all available like it's all there it just needs to be processed in a way yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I remember, you know, looking at kind of the apocalyptic nature of early American religion made me understand so much, you know, the current version of, of Christianity that is kind of not of this world. And, mm -hmm. you know, that we, that, that Christians, you know, turn out to be the worst stewards of the earth and you know like all right. these things but but it is you know it's so tied to this this old version of religion where jesus was coming back he was around every corner at any time you know mm -hmm. we don't we, we don't you know kind of um yeah we're not of this world um and you know we've lost kind of you know all the bullshit kind of goes through generation to generation without the the kind of container of you know like we d most most evangelical christians don't think that jesus is coming you know tomorrow but they also don't think that the environment taking care of the environment is a um you know priority and so you know it's like this weird thing where you see these leftovers of older versions outdated some would say but somehow the poison kind of keeps going through generations mm -hmm. in a way where we're just like we're we're at um you know full poison now right right yep yeah that that quote that that dave said um getting back to that tree metaphor he said it's not a pruning issue it's the seeds Yep. seeds are bad you know you're talking about uh brandon his his interview with pete holmes and he has just such a he's has so many poignant things to say he's i love how thoughtful he is and how uh uh insightful he is they're just you were able to capture so many wonderful insightful nuggets in this film 
I just I wanted to just talk about how beautiful I think the film is too, oh, just you. visually, um, because it sometimes doesn't always feel like a documentary. The way you, that you talk about you wanting to blur the lines of, of things and mm -hmm. and these big, lush, grand shots that you do of landscapes. The the score. I don't know if it's if it's all Bazan scoring or something but there's so many uh eerie kind of moments and textures that you that you lay in throughout um some of these these shots that you that you make and then these sort of these transitions that you'll do from these sort of like chaotic things and then like a smash cut to like a quiet shot of dave standing somewhere and those are the moments to me that it feels like this doesn't feel like a documentary. This feels like we're uh, watching the inside of a man's, you know, you know, chaotic mind. And then it just like, oh, now he's just standing by the gas pump and it's quiet. And I just think, though, that that sort of stuff to me is is just um, makes it such a compelling film and you make such uh, uh amazing choices and so i just wanted to um wow. appreciate appreciate that part of the film that part of the no film, the that's i take that to, to heart trying to make the right film you know outside of form um is is something that i, I try to take really seriously um based on each kind of subject and each character where you know it's it's uh, outside of convention it's just kind of like what's the best version of this story or what makes this, this beauty available the best? How do I pull the roadblocks away towards what I see to mm -hmm. give it to other people um, as, as kind of quickly and painlessly as possible and doubling down on kind of his perspective um, and trying to make it in his head um, I'm so happy that 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 came across for you. And, you know, again, with the with the interview set up like that was the conceit of that was, you know, to get him in a place that he was so kind of comfortable in and automatic in that, you know, and he's looking forward. So it's mm -hmm. just kind of like it's very much like inside his head um, yeah. is is the idea. And so um you know, but but I, I I'm so happy to hear that the kind of editing choices and and soundtrack and stuff yeah. helped that because um, it did feel like that was inside his head and you yeah. know honestly he one of one of the interesting things that we did when it came to scoring the film was um, Sean Lane who used to play drums uh, in the band um, for a time created this this uh instrument called the bike and it's it's a bike frame that he's kind of electrified and put you know all of these different um you know like symbols and and bow strings and all this stuff uh you know that he can run through pedals and it's just wow. like this insane really you know like in terms of the the, the range of sound he's able to get it's incredible and he did, we did a live score session with him where Dave was telling him what it sounded like in his head. 
Wow. And so we watched the movie and Sean, Dave told Sean how to kind of represent what was what how he felt um and it yeah it was fascinating and then you know when we ended up mixing the film we had this this really kind of you know authentic version of that to to kind of dip in and out of um you know in the mix when we needed it that was super cool. <laughs> it's amazing. I think Sean I need to see a picture of this of the bike. It, yeah, it's it, it makes me think of like this some sort of like Mary Poppins situation. Like is it like a so, one man band sort of thing or what's going on? <laughs> totally. No, no, no. There's like there's videos online of it. Sean Lane okay. the bike. Yeah. I think yeah. he's credited as bike on Phoenix at some point. And I'm like, I'd never really understood. I thought it was some sort of yellow bike thing, but I'm like, oh now it makes more sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That rules. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's not a given that a music documentary be beautifully made. So it's like striking that there were artful ways that you chose to tell his story. And I think it stands out in that world. Um, I think particularly of the footage in it that's also in the video you did for the Trouble with Boys song. Mm, yeah. I wasn't sure if you used stuff for the movie that ended up in the video or used stuff for the video put in the movie but him sort of like tearfully standing there and you know you talked about like um you know structuring it almost in like a narrative way like there's there's that stuff there's footage of Dave's family without him that almost serves as like flashbacks to what he's missing yeah. um and again that just feels very cinematic for a music documentary it was the idea mm -hmm. of capturing his family and structuring the film's arc in that way I was part of the vision like what what was that process for you yeah that was uh that was hard because um and uh dave's ex-wife now wasn't super comfortable with with mm. me shooting um sure. and just kind of you know it was like i don't know how well it was all explained but it was just kind of like another dave thing and this guy yeah, yeah. is here and I'm just trying to run this family and, you know, and it makes total sense, you know, where it's just like, that's another pain in the ass. Um, and, you know, obviously we got, we got to be friends through the process and, and she became much more comfortable with it. But one of the early things that I did um, was I, I made good friends with Andy Fitz, um, who's another musician up in Seattle that was living with Dave at the time. Um, and he was making wedding films and, you know, he's an incredible artist and his records are incredible. I don't know if you guys know them, but um, he, I, so I sent him up a camera and I was just like, yo, just shoot, like, just shoot whatever. Um, and cause I'm not going to have the access that you're going to have. And as long as everyone's comfortable, just shoot, you know, and it ended up working out in a really interesting way because like, you know, there's all this footage of them, you know, kind of like uh, picking blueberries, I think. Um, and I didn't shoot that. Andy shot that and he didn't know how to use the camera exactly <laughs> yet. So it's all super overexposed, uh, you know, it works though. really blown out, uh, yeah. you know, like really light. Um, and yeah, but I'd like, you know, it ended up being this thing where it's just like, this makes so much sense. This feels like a first person point yeah. of view rather than kind of like um 
you know, framed, carefully framed shots. And then, you know, it just felt dreamy in this really cool way. And that's kind of, you know, like, that's one of my favorite things about doc filmmaking is just kind of like making shit work and mm-hmm. finding a way for it to be cooler than if you had planned on it, you know, uh, yeah. using those limitations. Um, and then with the trouble with boys thing, that was, they, we just kind of came up with this idea to make a video because I had Panasonic had sent me this crazy camera to test out um, that had like some really good slow motion features. Um, and so while we were on one of the tours and I just, I just fucking love that song. Like it really, yeah. it really hit me um, that version of it, especially. And so, yeah, I came up with that idea and then made that video which was funny because it was like you know we were we shot you know eleanor stuff his daughter at a different time than when we shot the him in the mirror stuff and that we were in like new jersey or something and i'm calling around to all these hotels asking for the specific mirror with (laughs) with lights around Uh and everyone you know like there everyone thought that this was going to be like a porn or something (laughs) (laughs) and you know but but we ended up you know just doing that you know for the video dave listened to um andy schaff's record and was able to kind of get there and then i just you know and then I had that footage. Yeah, it just kind of made sense to to reuse it in that way. And I try not to be too precious about that kind of stuff where it's just like whatever, whatever works, throw it at it, whether it's, you know, like a Super 8 or, you know, 4K or whatever. Like it's it's about the moment rather than kind of like continuity. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, Andrew, that, the drone shots. I mean, that's such a central element yeah. to the storytelling. Like I, I presume these are Dave's car that we're following through some of those, at least And these, yeah. these winding roads and these landscapes. How, how did you plan that out? How did that work? Yeah, that was, that was tough. Cause that was kind of before drones were like, a, you know, super easily accessible. So this was like a, this Chinese drone called unique yeah you know the the idea there was just kind of like all right we're traveling all across the country like how do we how do we tell the story of Mm. of these places in a way that's like different than just kind of like the road movie out the window you know same kind of shots like this is this is you know it's really important to kind of establish how radically different these landscapes are and and then also there's kind of this omnipotent point of view Mm. of you know looking down at him and you know just like him being so small in the frame and Mm -hmm. you know like i kind of knew pretty early on like I, i wanted to be pretty extreme with with focal distances and either be really close and really up in his his face and his space and then really really far away um you know and making making everything feel really immediate and devastating but then also kind of like getting perspective of you know just kind of like this is just 
one dude in the world and no one else knows he's going through this and blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and, and Dave, <laughs> it was, was patient enough to, you know, kind of make that happen. Um, you know, where we would, and, and this is one time, this is one trip that I did have a, um, a crew member with me, my, my very good friend, Colin Micah, who I went to film school with, who's, who's a genius cinematographer. Um, and he was really kind of like, he really set up like all the car mount shots and like that, that was really his world. And then, you know, kind of in terms of un, with the drone stuff, um, you know, we would, we would kind of like ra race forward and, you know, a lot of Google Earth, you know, kind okay. of yeah. like understanding what the the you know it, it would look like from 400 feet above, and um, yeah, it was a messy, messy. <laughs> yeah, I can well, believe it. I'm like, how did you yeah. choose routes based on how aesthetically interesting they were? Oh, man, like... that, that yeah. the one with like it's hard to describe, like it, the sort of the roads going like this sort of like through the trees and then yeah. like sort of winds around and you see, I mean, like some of these shots are just so, it, it also gave me a sense of isolation and loneliness because it's like so often it's like just him on these long stretches of road. So totally. that made me feel like this is another story being told here. Here's, you know, it's, obviously Dave is talking about it, but then you just have the visuals of like, you know, a, a man by himself in a, in a, in a van and um, as, as cinematic as they are still, um, still a lonely place to be. Did you, there's also amazing footage of Dave performing Lord, I lift your name on high <laughs> uh, in a church worship band. Um, Yes. What was the process of going through like sort of family archival footage? How did that work? Oh man, I like yeah, there's there's a just about every format of film and video that has ever existed in this thing. <laughs> um it, you know, I, I a lot of it was you know, the the Kickstarter campaign was really helpful in terms of like you know, people coming out of the woodwork and, um, you know, offering up footage and, you know, kind of creating like, yeah, just like starting to create a, um, a relationship with, with this diehard audience from pretty early on, because most of the footage, you know, came from, from fans, wow. you know, um, some, you know, like Ben Brubaker, who was in the band for a while, you know, like, had some super eight that he had shot, um, you know, and, and Dave, you know, kind of like on our, my first trip up there, he just gave me this bag full of, you know, like mini DV tapes. And I remember <laughs> at, the, at the point, um, because I, because I knew that he, or he knew that the cornerstone stuff was in that bag and his then wife was like are you sure you just want to like give him all that shit yeah and he's like i don't, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> luckily you know it's kind of at the beginning of, of video cameras being available where people were shooting stuff yeah 
So you mentioned some, you know, the obviously the diehard Pedro fans, um, you know, providing a lot of the footage and backing, you know, you know, giant nerds like John here backing uh, <laughs> the project. Uh, did you at, at any point, did you feel like this when it like became super real when it got they backed it that you're like a sense of responsibility for the these diehard fans that you're just like i have to come through like in a serious way for this film or they will <laughs> eat me alive <laughs> yeah i mean that's like we raised an incredible amount like a hundred grand um you know Amazing. through fans and that's just like that's a lot of money um you know and don Cheadle money <laughs> learn that soon. lesson <laughs> and uh so yeah there definitely was a um you know kind of just this this awe at first and then this responsibility of being a good steward of people's real money um mm -hmm. but Outside of that, I tried to kind of separate myself from it in terms of anyone's expectations or I also, you know, I wanted to make the movie from my perspective as well, where it's just like, this is what turns me on about this shit. And like, I remember in the first episode, you guys are talking about big trucks and <laughs> how it, it didn't really do anything for you guys. And I feel the same way. Like I've and you know like i just don't fucking dig that song and <laughs> and dave still loves it you know and he still plays it um and you know like was playing it a bunch during that time and i remember people being so bummed that i didn't put that in the movie at some point because it was like they're this foundational song for them and it's like nah man you know like it's it's this is a it's a complete it's a complete piece you know, where it's like, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, a movie becomes a house of cards to a certain extent where it's like, if you pull one thing out, it all comes crashing down. And if you, you make one move, that's not, you know, uh, towards the kind of heartbeat or North star, then everything starts falling apart. Um, and so I tried to, I tried to kind of uh, suspend my, uh, duty to to the fans in a way that I thought would would uh, honor them even more. Yeah, I mean, speaking on behalf of the fans, I'm fine with big trucks not being in it. Um, <laughs> but I did want to ask about. I mean, I feel like the song choices that you made is another sort of cinematic aspect of the movie um, because permanent record the the version that's on the monthly collection like as the first time i heard it i was like this is such a good like cinematic song it should be in a movie or there should be a video for it and so like i was so glad that it opens with that it's just yeah. like that burn of the bass immediately just like whoa like something's happening totally. so i love that that song's in it i love that it closes with it goes which is also a monthly yeah. song that i don't think that many people know but it's just such a cool like I don't know. There, there, there's yeah. something about like it feels sort of triumphant, but it's also like th what you're saying about like this process keeps going. He's going to go back on the road, you know. And yeah. I don't know. I, I was I was moved by the choices that you did make. I mean, slow and steady is probably my favorite Pedro song ever, yeah. and the fact that we get that 
you know, solo acoustic young Dave yeah. in the record store playing it. And then we close with this like triumphant full band version. I'm yeah. like, oh, oh bookending no. the thing yeah. with, with that song so good. was was great. So how did you did you have oh, a process man. for like how you decided what Dave songs you wanted to use? Well, I, you know, early on with that kind of uh, novelization of his of his lyrics that I made, I did I did kind of all these different passes of it um, in terms of kind of like how to tell the story through, because that's the other thing, you know, that I, I really wanted to get meta on in a way that you know, uh, no one would really notice, but if you listen to just the music and just the lyrics that are in the, the performed songs or, you know, the, 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 the uh, non-diegetic songs, it's, it tells the same story. Um, mm. And it's, and it's all there, you know, like it mm. could, you could just, and we wanted to do a sound uh, like a soundtrack release for a long time because there was so much put into that but we just kind of it just never came to fruition but first of all I was like do I like this song or not like I because there's plenty of songs that you know like kind of do the lifting but I just don't dig and it doesn't you know like vibe wise it just didn't fit or tone wise or whatever um so that was kind of my first thing um and then and then it was kind of like how to tell the story through this these lyrics and taking history into account and you know kind of the the his progression into account you know having these eras of uh varying uh levels of belief and disbelief um mm. you know was was really helpful in terms of kind of structuring it because it was um we had to kind of follow that that trajectory i mean you kind of talked about the anthropologist approach mm -hmm. to this in a way i mean bazan's music and, and the shows he puts on have always been kind of like a safe space for wanderers that's sort of his his deal is you know these living room shows can fill the space as a kind of church experience for people who've maybe left church and are missing that mm -hmm. um and i think the movie captures that really well it, it's a unique setting and uh the concerns that the people who have uh who come to those i think are are, are unique and like mm. could you talk about the experience of of capturing those shows is that a primary piece of what you imagined the documentary would be is those experiences or is that just kind of where dave was at how did that work no that was that was pretty foundational yeah. um because it was so unique you know and yeah. it was like i mean it's a fucking bible study you right. Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's very much um, his own, you know, he's using these tools and this culture, you know, and that's one of the things that I've always loved and been attracted to in terms of Dave's intellectual um, kind of relationship with with all these questions in this this history of questioning is that you know like he's not too quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. where it's like mm -hmm. there are really helpful and really beautiful things about this tradition that um you know deserve to be interrogated and you know are are potentially useful in a lot of different ways 
Um, and so, you know, I love that he kind of, he, he didn't make a complete, you know, 180 and just like, fuck all of this. Right. I'm starting something new. Mm-hmm. I'm a completely different person. It's kind of like, well, what's helpful out of this? Um, let, you know, like there's an intimacy to this Bible study thing and this community thing that really works. And, you know, I think that that kind of led that. And so that was really exciting to me seeing that because that was one of that was the first thing I actually saw after I pitched the film to them. I went and saw him do a house show thing in like Orange County or something. And it was that became quickly kind of like the plot. Because it was also just kind of this, you know, like really cinematic thing where it's like homies selling records out of the back of his van. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally. Yeah. Um, and driving himself to the show and loading in and loading out and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and then, and then the opportunity to include the voices of this generation of, um, you know, people wrestling with this thing that's, you know, like I think a very, as the, the entire podcast gets to is a very kind of special and helpful and damaged, um, you know, cohort of, of, of people um, that hopefully can, you know, change the trajectory of all of this stuff, because mm-hmm. there's so many tools that I think that we've, we've gotten from this as well as you know a lot of uh other stuff (laughs) but you know so making that available and and kind of you know highlighting some of these conversations that i would hear over and over again within these settings um was just speaking you know of utmost importance as the anthropologist and speaking of these house shows i've i gotta imagine or maybe you're uh, an absolute professional and you know how to just like blend into the background but uh as we've talked about on the pod before um in the past there's you know john has talked about some of his embarrassing questions that he's thrown out and and the moments when dave asks if there, anybody has any questions um i've got to imagine that you captured some moments of people trying to you know whether it's corner Dave about it or something or ask a question that you're just like Oof. were there moments in in those questions that stand out to you whether it was cringy or profound or moving by the time I started shooting it was it was in a d- bit of a different space than than I heard you guys kind of talk about seeing him early on And I remember that too. Like I remember seeing him in Pomona way back and, you know, these, these, are you still Christian questions and blah, blah, blah. And we see that in the film. There's one of those in there. Yeah. It's a funny bummer. (laughs) Why are you so bitter? Oh, that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. That, that, cause that was at one of the house shows. I was like, yeah. That just make made me my butthole pucker. I'm just like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. It's so there wasn't a ton of that to be honest, because everyone kind of knew what was happening and everyone was kind of on board. Um, That's a relief. 
yeah and so there wasn't a ton of gotcha type stuff um or yeah it, yeah it, it, you know it's like it's a it's a and dave's just a he's just a master at um cultivating this kind of openness and a a, a vibe and a tone of kind of acceptance and just kind of you know it's like he's never yeah i don't know it's it, he creates he, he's a master at kind of creating a really special safe space even if people are being jackasses and trying to kind of yeah. corner him he he has the goodwill and a way of controlling that that um never really got out of control funny thing about the kid that asked the you know who is jesus to you or whatever that question was um, yeah, yeah he was at the south by southwest premiere oh we, shit. we we premiered in this this massive paramount theater in in, in uh, austin and he asked a question afterwards and he said where where was that show and dave remembered and and he's like i have to apologize <laughs> uh that was me I asked that question and he's like, I've come, I've come a long way and I've, I've changed a lot since then. Uh, and you've been a massive part of that change. Wow. And uh, he ended up helping with the film. Actually, he was like wow. a social media marketing dude and a guy named Ben. And he, he was really helpful with the film uh, after that. But it's you know, beautiful. that's, I love that. That kind of long-term. Yeah thing is like it's just not that rare when it comes to dave and his relationship to his his fans and yeah hmm. yeah he's got such a a grace of dealing with so many i mean he obviously opens himself up to it yeah. so he he is prepared on some level for the questions that he gets but like i've seen him answer the question you know what's your relationship to jesus or whatever version of that so many times and his one there where he just kind of leaned past the mic and was like that's a, a private conversation the guy's like okay yeah. and then even when yeah the woman who's like why'd you get so bitter after the holy pete he's like <laughs> oh uh i'm not bitter at all like that tone of sort of i was telling andrew i just saw him a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about the importance of wearing masks and someone in the crowd was like play another song and he was like oh i'm sorry i'm talking right now like where you can tell he's like uh fucking can right. you look he's doing it in this way that's very like right i'm leading this conversation in a, in a gracious way totally. um yeah it's such a special piece always has been of the bazan experience is how he engages with fans and is so willing to come at these questions on, at the same level uh, of the people who are asking them so at, i was totally. happy that was such a piece of it um I wanted to ask about, obviously, a major piece of the film is the decision that Dave makes to bring Pedro back together. Mm -hmm. And that came while you were shooting, right? Like, late in the process? Yeah. How did that, how, like, if Pedro hadn't gotten back together, how did you imagine the film ending? And then how did you sort of revise from there? Yeah, I mean, that, I, I thought that I was done. Um, right. Without kind of a really good ending you know and that's the hard thing is like you never know what the ending right. is going to be and you just kind of have to faithfully follow um you know and yeah so yeah i remember when he came up with the idea and 
I was obviously just like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> yes, do that. Um, but, you know, it also it was also kind of there's a congruity to it, you know, that he talks about in, in the film that I think has been really helpful for him um, to get through things. And, you know, a, a massive part of the film that didn't make it in was, you know, probably this whole 20 minute section on just like all these band members that got burned you know that like there's like 25 band members yeah. over the years and dave was really dealing with the fallout of that and kind of understanding that he was the common denominator there mm. um and just that you know how shitty that had been and um i think it was a very healing thing for him to kind of realize that like Pedro was kind of, you know, always him and it, you know, there were versions of it. Um, yeah, that, you know, but it was like, it, it, it was always, you know, even watching the footage from way back and obviously TW is such a massive voice in it. And, um, you know, was such, was such a big part of those records. Um, but yeah, I think that for Dave to kind of go back and realize that after he had kind of been like, you know, 10 different band names and blah, 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 like to just be like to go home, yeah. you know, and, and home becomes such a big thematic element in the film um, that it just was like so, uh, you know, just it landed so well when he was like, I think that I'm going to do this. And, you know, it was like, okay, that's, that's the movie. Right. So when he made that decision, how much more time did that add on to the movie making? A, a little while because yeah. then it was, I mean, yeah, there's so much that didn't make it in the film. Um, and so it's, it's hard to remember what was what, but, Streets are talking about a director's cut. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing them say. <laughs> oh man, I wish. <laughs> I wish that enough people saw this film. Like that. That. I mean, it. It's still like on Amazon. It still does pretty decent, but it's a hard thing where it's like at, releasing films is so hard right now, and yeah. you know tr the way that I I kind of decided to do it, and yeah, it's just a it's a hard. I'm, I'm, I still hope, I still have hope that, you know, it will kind of find an audience. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled with, with, you know, people's response and reaction thus far. Um, but yeah, I hope one day there's a, there's a need for a director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so too. And that vinyl yeah. release soundtrack that you'll oh, yes, do. Please support that um yeah i have to say like i was initially surprised when i heard about pedro reuniting like i was a little taken aback where i was like i really like the sound and sort of identity he's been building up as a solo artist so i was yeah. a little bit like why i mean i probably had some sense of the like financial piece of it but i was like i understand the logic of it so much better after having watched the movie i mean you yeah you captured the toll that the solitude and the choice to tour by himself took on him and his family. Um, and that piece of it is obvious, but also his articulating of like, 
he wants to play with drums and bass and he <laughs> wants to do this with other people and he wants to be in a band like connecting with others on a personal level and musically just i was like oh i completely get it now yeah. um so yeah. i was it made a lot more sense but was that something that you like when he came to that conclusion were you like oh well that's the perfect sort of culmination of the story i've been telling here did it just yeah Yeah. i mean i think i flew right up and you know we did we we drove around a bunch and talked about it just around seattle with the same kind of interview setup um and yeah, it was just this really, you know, it was kind of like he did his years wandering in the desert. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was time to do something else. And yeah, so that was, it was, it was pretty exciting because it was, you know, I couldn't have really asked for a better, other than, you know, <laughs> some people wanted him to become a Christian again or whatever at the end of the movie. Uh, right. <laughs> um but you know, I, feel I like think that would undermine so much of what was being t- the story that was being told. Every, everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and I, I, I'm, I think that it's, and I, I got a lot of that. You know, like from um, Christian people as I was touring the film. You know, that I, I did. I got kind of, you know, more hate than, than Dave would at, mm. at his shows, just in terms of like, why, why are you promoting this, this questioning? Why are you, you know, um, yeah, just that this is dangerous. This is, why would, why would you make a film about this? Uh, you mm. know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of like, man, because this is, this is the whole thing, you know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. have you read the Bible? You know, uh-huh. like this is this is the Psalms. This is you know, like this is it. Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, just like but I don't know the 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 kind of sheltered sheltering ourselves from this kind of discourse has never made any sense to me, and and um, so I was a little surprised, you know, when there was some kind of blowback, and you know, people um you know at at screenings you know kind of would would take me to task over my motivations and stuff like that but and but you know it it ends up making sense because of the you know because of evangelicalism <laughs> you know right so you know it's like dave said in in the in the movie he, he said god can't be hurt by your questions right. so the fact that people uh are afraid of asking questions says more about their fear than what it means about god or what it could do to god i think yeah at the at the root of so much evangelicalism is is a fear which is what uh so much of the far right and people like trump appeal to is is a lot of those base fears so totally um you know, pulling those threads is, is a scary thing. And, and, um, I think illuminating and normalizing the fact that people of faith can still be Christians while asking questions and that that's not a a terrible thing to do. And, 
Well, what, and it like, makes people feel less a, alone. Yeah, what a weird thing that that's the narrative now, where it's just kind of like, you know, for all of, you know, kind of recorded history, you know, in terms of religious history, this has been uh, one of the core tenets of uh, faith, you know, is is wrestling and questioning and look at the Jewish tradition, you know, oh, it's for just like sure. how it's such a, it's such a, it feels like forever because this is the only version we've known, but you go back even one generation or a couple of generations and this is this is a uniquely you know kind of american western mm -hmm. recent addition to the canon yeah. is this you know kind of fear and obviously it's taken different forms over you know uh as as it's evolved but um yeah it's it's so weird that it's just kind of accepted as um you know yeah just whatever yeah, the the wrestling, the questioning, the honesty of that is so much of what has drawn people to Dave's music um, and has, you know, instilled that devoted following. And I think the movie does the same thing. Like it's a it's another um, expression of a way to to wrestle with things. And I'm sure people will find I hope people find the movie who don't even know anything about Dave and are moved by. Yeah a story about asking those questions. Um, yeah. And, you know, the fact that you end it with this, this like beautiful kind of closing monologue that Dave has where he's talking about, he's still finding himself reaching out for something, you know, mm -hmm. what if the divine is just balance itself? Harmony is where we experience transcendence, like, yeah. And that he's, he's, he's hesitant to put a label on it. Cause that's where you get into trouble. But like, I love that he ends in that place of sort of looping back around in a way to expressing what sort of he finds um where he finds sort of divinity um and it, i was just gonna ask like what was it like to see him articulate his shifting views on faith on the world in sort of real time over the course of several years where there was a, a lot of things happening in his life and in the country like what was that what was it like to see him do that yeah, yeah i it's such a, that time, that, it was, uh, to be perfectly honest, like it was pretty uh, rough making the film. Um, mm. It was, it was pretty dark, <laughs> mm. you know, um, and really pretty dark and pretty focused. Um, you know, whereas like I was kind of, I was piecing everything together, you know, at, it's, you know, like trying to build a ship, uh, you know, while you're already out at sea right. most of the time. Um, and then just kind of like the, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard because it was just surviving, you know, like you're just kind of like trying to get, especially cause it was just me and just him, Yeah, you yeah. know, and he's a heavy motherfucker. You know? <laughs> it's like, there's, it's, it's, uh, you know, it is, it, it weighs pretty heavy to be kind of in that therapist position, right. you know? Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I mean, honestly, like it's taken a little while to get to, 
get, not get over it, but to process and kind of, um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, decompress or something. Yeah, just kind of make, uh, yeah, it was, you know, and even in the post-process, like <clears throat> editing the film, you know, it was like, that was rough too. Cause you know, like we, I mean, there was times that we were screaming at each other. Hmm. you know um and so you know it's like there was never there was never like uh yeah it was pretty it was pretty intense and prickly and um you know like just rough a lot of the time so hmm. i think you know but also fucking beautiful and yeah. you know it was like uh, but i was really going through it with him um yeah in a weird way because we didn't know each other before that but then you know it's like we were kind of on this thing together and connected um so i think it was a relief you know um that that as a friend you know um and just someone yeah like that had that had gone on a lot of this journey with him like there what uh, there really was some peace yeah. you know and him again not just saying i'm just focused on you know the earth and what i can see and blah 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 and just throwing everything away that it goes outside of our understanding is it was really comforting and helpful because you know i i want that for him i want him to continue to think um as he says in the film outside of the back of his head you know mm. that that consciousness is is bigger than that because the world needs it um mm. and so yeah it was it was encouraging um but it was also just kind of like we were we were both just so tired at that point yeah yeah you know? <laughs> well Thank you for doing the hard work of <laughs> making a, a tough movie that uh, I think asks hard questions, but it does. Yeah, the, the sense of like peace and sort of triumph feels hard won at the end mm. of it, and uh, it's meaningful to see. Yeah, so, That's um, so cool to hear. Yeah, thank you, thank you for this movie, Brandon. Thank you for taking the time today. Um, yeah. I could keep talking all night long. We want to respect <laughs> your time. Um, but is there anything you're working on now that you want to promote or plug? Or is there anything you want to direct folks to? Yeah, not quite yet. I mean, what? well, I don't know. You know, it's like making a living doing this thing is, is, is a game of keeping as many kind of irons in the fire as you can. Sure. And, you know, one of those projects will kind of pay the mortgage uh, every once in a while. And so, yeah, I, you know, I'm working on a documentary, another documentary right now. Um, probably the thing that is the most, well, yeah, we're kind of halfway through shooting it. Uh, it's called The Slow as Possible. Hmm. which sounds riveting i know um <laughs> sounds cool yeah but it's about uh it's about time and humans relationship to time and the passage of time um and you know it's very interested in, in long-term thinking and kind of you know what they call cathedral thinking you know where hmm. 
um, multi-generational efforts and projects and how we, <clears throat> you know, as, as, as a society have gotten um, really far away from, from that kind of thinking um, and the, the, the kind of consequences of that, um, you know, that, that I think we're experiencing today. So, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a crazy weird art film with no interviews or anything. And, you know, the, the kind of backbone of the film is um, this, this piece of music that's being played over 639 years in this ancient church in Germany. Yeah, I've heard about this. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, by, by the experimental composer, John Cage. Yeah, yeah. He wrote this piece of music called The Slow as Possible for piano, um, which obviously, and you know, the, the, the notation suggests you play it as slow as possible. Um, but then, you know, and piano obviously has a natural decay. Um, before he died, he recomposes it for organ, um, which can be played indefinitely. And so there's this, this crazy project that's playing it over 639 years. Um, and it's this really interesting thing because anywhere from, you know, like nine months to seven years is a chord change. Mm -hmm. And people make, people make this pilgrimage, yeah. you know, kind of wow. from all over the world to watch these chord changes. Um, and it's just, you know, it's this really fascinating kind of explosion of past present and future when you're in that space um and just kind of understanding that if all goes well this will be playing you know for another 600 years and yeah. that you know it's already been playing for this long and that you're in this moment right now hearing this chord um mm. So that, that, you know, and, and the, the kind of keeper of that project uh, and, and that project is, is one element of it. And then there's a, a, a gentleman in Iceland um, that kind of represents another element of it that's very focused on kind of the ice monsters, glaciers and the, the, the relationship between Iceland and, and kind of um, you know, these glaciers and the fact that, you know, they are starting to die. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the first, the first one, you know, died, lost its status as a glacier uh, just over the last couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's this really interesting thing because there's so many mythic kind of, uh, you know, just Nordic storytelling that's based around these ice monsters and, we're watching, you know, this kind of geological time be compressed into human time due to global warming. Um, and so actually I was just up at uh, one, we, we got to shoot at this, uh, this place called the Allen Telescope Array, uh, which is run by a NASA and this company called SETI, which stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And they are using you know these these radio telescopes um to scan the cosmos for intelligent life um and you know so the idea there is so anyway yeah it's, it's kind of this braiding together 
of all of these different narratives that have to do with um, long-term thinking. Um, mm. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Man. I love. I cannot <laughs> wait to see this. When we yeah. do our uh, John Cage season, we'll we'll have you come back on and talk about it. <laughs> yes. um, Yes. No, that rules. I, 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 I can't wait to hear more about how that comes together. Um, totally. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, folks can rent or buy Strange Negotiations on Amazon Prime Video. Um, yeah. Check out Brandon Vetter's work. Uh, I'll cut up films. Yeah. Yep. 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 I do um, have one more question. Yeah. And yeah. Coming up in uh, the episode, John and I are going to talk about, uh, we're going to do our best to rank the Pedro discography do you do you have a sense of what your favorite pedro record is that's so hard i know dude i know well well the thing that you guys have have touched on a couple times is just like the discrepancy between solo stuff and headphone stuff yeah you know blah 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 where it's like it becomes really difficult because those are really important records to me. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, there's something really special about control, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, where it's like it's, it was punk rock enough to kind yeah. of get, get me, you know, to go back and there's enough fuck you. And enough, you know, like the drums are just insane yeah, on that record. The best. Yeah, they are. And so that's, you know, for me, and I love watching, you know, now Dave go through like Phoenix and Havasu and the upcoming records, you know, and kind of like, it's just such a different thing yeah. that he's doing now. It might as well be called something different because it's a, it's a whole different project um, yeah. in a really cool way. But yeah, I think that that's, you know, that that's what got me on this journey. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's my one. Awesome. Good yeah, luck. It. Good luck to you guys. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, Brandon. This Thanks. is great. Yeah, it's so fun. It's a, he's not wrong about those drums. No. Uh, many thanks to special guest Brandon Vetter. Dude rules. He made a great movie. We had a great conversation. Please go check out Strange Negotiations if you haven't yet. Um, yeah, loved uh, loved getting into it with him. Yes, um, and we've got some things to get into ourselves. Oof, we sure do. This is going to be painful <laughs> because it's. I was texting you today uh-huh. about how unfair it is. Yeah, to try and rank these records because it. Yeah, but we'll get into it. Get so... into it. Our album rankings, our set lists, much uh, possible controversy therein. Oh yes, coming up after the break. <laughs> yeah. Pickles. Boots. Pickle and Boot Shop, a new podcast on the Rock Candy Network. Relax with your host Joe Yerke and Reese Roper. It's time. Hey, John. Hey. 
have you heard of Small Step Records? You know, the name is familiar, but, but tell me more. Well, Small Step Records is a faith-based DIY record label with mm-hmm. bands that are melodic punk, pop punk, easycore, emo, and ska. And they have some new albums and new bands releasing records right now on all streaming services. You should check them out. Andrew, not only that, Ooh. they are Magpot's first official sponsor. Oh, really? Starburst got nothing on these guys. All mm. right. These guys are the real deal. <laughs> uh, the tagline is love God, love others, listen to pop punk. You can go to smallstepperecords.com, check out the cool records and merch and bands they have, and we will be, through their generosity, offering some giveaways in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, on our socials of some of these Small Step Bands records. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Also, John, unlike some record labels, which may have come up over the course of the podcast, the artists on Small Step always keep 100% of the rights and ownership of their music. Yes. So... Any money that goes to Small Step goes directly back into supporting the bands. This is a label with integrity, so you love to see it. Love to see it. Small Step. Check them out. Smallsteprecords.com. Beautiful. We're back. Yes. We're talking top Pedro records, talking mm. Pedro set lists, mm. talking <laughs> many Sophie's choices. Indeed. Over here. Uh, yes. I, so yeah, I texted you earlier today, mm. and I'm pretty sure <laughs> I said, uh, this is a very tough list. It feels unfair. And because anywhere I put any of the albums feels like it should be higher. Yeah. Like it no, doesn't it's... where I put certain albums. I'm like, it's, it feels wrong to have any song, any album, not like high. Yeah. Cause it, it just feels like it, it, it's, it's like diminishing the work somehow. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Even though that's not we what are. we're trying to do. It just, it feels yeah. It's a tough, uh, this is why they pay this big bucks, you know, to, uh, to make these life or death calls. I know. Um, yeah, we're, we're purely doing the six Pedro LPs mm-hmm. for our album rankings. There's no EPs, there's no Bazan solo stuff. It would be much more complicated with all that involved. Yeah. It's hard enough as it is, but I kind of feel the same <laughs> way about this as I do about uh, any of the songs on Christian Branches versus kind of any of them could be my number one. Pretty much any of these albums could also be my number one. I love them all very much. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't really, as I said, if we were throwing in non-Pedro stuff, Christian Branches probably would be at the top of my list. Yeah, um, probably. But it's not in there today. Too. Okay. But we are doing our, our set list as well. Yeah. And I may have broken some rules on that front. Uh, we'll get into that where, where things maybe got a little blurred. Um, but I'm, 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 keeping to the the rules as defined for our album rankings at least yeah yeah we yeah we we both bent the rules a little bit for the 10 song set list and we we we'll 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 explain that when we get there but yes um john should we should we just get into it should we not delay any yes so i mean we'll just say for any folks who are new this season 
at the end of a little mini series of a band recovering, we always like to rank the albums we've covered. We also uh, like to throw together a little 10 song set list, imagining, hey, if we had the opportunity to put together a short, you know, festival ish length uh, set for yeah. these bands that we're covering, what would we want to throw in there? So that's the challenge we put before ourselves. Yeah. Um, and John and I historically have had very different approaches to this. Yeah. Like mine, mine have always been like the most unrealistic stuff that, like, well, you know, that's you what you're getting from me today. So, <laughs> but continue. Hell yeah. <laughs> the tables have turned a little bit. This Ooh. is where I'm like, this yeah. is the hardest, yeah. hardest rankings and sellers because it's literally like my favorite yeah. albums and, and bands. So, I'm like, I went full, like, just weird set uh, on this one. But... Super deep cuts. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Um, All right. For albums, though. Yes. Uh, should we trade off places? Yeah, we got to start. We'll start, start number last, six. Work our way up. Yeah, we. But like when we say last, sorry, uh, clarification. Final. <laughs> we'll we'll say the sixth, not sure. meaning, not indication of like the least or the yeah, worst yeah. or it's bad yes. or anything. Just indeed. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll go first because I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> not that you don't, but. <laughs> Uh, this was one thing that we talked about. I've, I've mentioned this like every episode. I'm like, it's going to be really interesting when we do our album rankings. Yeah. I feel like I had a sense of what they were before we started. Yeah. And that's what they are for me today. Even after all my hemming and hawing, I think at the end of the day, when I really yeah went back through them and thought about them, they pretty much worked out the way that I thought they would. So sure. all that to say, number six is Phoenix, which breaks my heart. Okay. <laughs> I think when we when we talked about Phoenix, I was like, if I had to guess, this would be my lowest ranked Pedro record. Not because I don't love it, which I do, just because the two newer ones are still working their way through my list. As we've talked about with a lot of the bands we've covered, you know, some of the stuff is 20 plus years old and has had a special right. place in my heart for a long time. It's hard right. for new stuff, even if it may be objectively better <laughs> as possibly have a Sue and Phoenix are. I think he's doing some of the most interesting musical stuff he's ever done. It's just not going to usurp those top spots. Um, I love Phoenix. I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot. When it came out, I was a little taken aback as I was, uh, as we talked about with Brandon, just with Pedro coming back together. I was a little bit thrown by Mm -hmm. moving from Bazan, which was doing this cool synthy stuff I was into, to Pedro and then kind of you know, much more electric guitar driven rock. It took me a minute to settle into it, but once we have, and once we talked through it uh, Mm -hmm. in particular, I really, really grew to love this record. So it may be in sixth place here, but I still, again, if you were like, there was a point where I was like, is Phoenix my favorite? (laughs) So (laughs) who knows? Uh, You know, it's six for now, but that's, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's where I'm at these days. Um. Yeah, some of some of mine surprised me because as I was putting them in order, some of some albums which were up higher dropped several spots just as I was thinking about mm. what it is about the records that I find meaningful and how they have impacted me over these uh over these months. So, um my number six is 
It's hard to find a friend. Okay. Um, primarily, uh, because I there aren't a lot of songs on that record that um hit me in a lot of the ways that some of the others and yeah. his you know forthcoming records did mm-hmm. um do i uh love uh secret of the easy yoke absolutely that is it was a very profound song um when we when we we talked about it and um and there's some songs on here i think that are really interesting and they tell some really interesting narratives but um i do think that in later albums he kind of gets the narrative and the the the, the more of the concept album thing nailed down right. more um and yeah so it's not one that i find myself returning to the most so sure. i think for that reason it's got to be my number 6 I think if you're looking at it objectively, it is in sixth place. Um, I just don't know that it sort of stacks up. It was also, it, you have more nostalgia attached. Yes. To it. That was going to be my next thing is like musically, he gets more um, accomplished and, and ambitious in, in, in all the albums that follow that one. But it, that was my, my way into Pedro. And so it's always going to have a very special place. Yeah, and my heart. I love every song on it, um, and it's a it's a different sort of vibe than um, most of his discography. Like goes on to occupy, but it's one that I still really love. I love its sort of acoustic, stripped down quality. Um, even if, as I said, uh, the newer records may be much more interesting. But so I understand. Yeah. Um, number five, Havasu. Uh, I see Havasu and Phoenix as being very much a pair. Um, I like Havasu slightly better than Phoenix. Um, Hmm. I think, I mean, I even struggled with that where I was like, Phoenix overall as an album may be more consistent. Um, but as our boy Bobby G said in a voicemail, it's a little, a little long. There's times where I find it a little bit meandering. Not that I don't like that. But Havasu, I just think, has a few more sort of bangers. It's a little more pared down. Um, he's bringing in the synthier elements a little more, which I appreciate. So it's it's pretty neck and neck. Um, but I would say on the whole, I mean, Teenage Sequencer is like uh, such a, a jam for me. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's hard to sort of uh, beat that uh, for either record. So slightly above Phoenix is Havasu for me. Yep. Um, speaking of Bobby G, I'm going to disappoint him by saying Achilles heel is okay. at number right. five. Um, I mean, cause speaking of, you know, sometimes I feel there's some, I think, I think Achilles heel was the first album that I felt like, I'm like, uh, I don't know, like Arizona to me, like, I was like, I, sure. I, don't, I don't know this, this song it doesn't really do it for me and there's some i feel like the the strong songs on mm-hmm. achilles heel are very very strong yeah then i have there's some songs on there that um are like i like them but they're not like 
they don't they're not as they don't have the strength as say like you know the foregone conclusions or the fleecings or the you know right. bands with managers or anything like that um so you know i i i think of this as uh achilles heel being um a more of a an inconsistent record um sure. which i think is probably an unpop probably gonna be an unpopular opinion but keep in mind like i'm coming at a majority of these records yeah completely new with the exception of winners so yeah i'm i i have very little nostalgia attached to any of this so um as we've talked about since the beginning that especially with mxpx that we the albums that have we have an introduction to the the mm. band with that mm. that oftentimes will that's that's a pivotal moment for your you and that artist so yeah you know if somebody's if somebody has there's there's also time and place that also plays into it but um i'm looking at a lot of this through my most recent experiences and how i've reacted and responded and yeah uh, experienced them and um and while i there you know some of my favorite songs probably by pedro are on mm -hmm. achilles heel yeah. uh it's there are some albums i feel like from beginning to end are just more bangers more more consistent and i just love more yeah um five that makes sense um you know we'll get to my placement of it but i don't think it's unreasonable to have it sort of you know middle of the of the pack kind of ranking um so my number four is it's hard to find a friend mm -hmm. um it again means a lot to me but i think just above the two most recent records um for the reasons you talked about in part um i think everything in the top half for me is more ambitious and that's probably ultimately what i'm uh drawn to the most so yeah for it's hard to find a friend my my three four and five were the ones that did a lot more moving around hmm. and ultimately i i was thinking about how i responded to some of those records and um i came to the conclusion that i needed to move certain ones up and that was mm. my number four which is havasu okay i was looking at the order and i'm like i mean like i i just it just didn't feel right considering how the recent records emotionally impacted me mm. and that is yeah. has been such a determining factor for some of these records because i was yeah. like you know i've been processing a lot of these lyrics and processing a lot of the experiences that Dave has been writing about. And, um, and you know, as, as you said, like with, I mean, teenage sequencer is mm -hmm. an absolute banger. Um, first drum set, absolute yep. banger, um, images that he paints, uh, of his childhood. It takes me to those places and, whether it's the the roller rink or 
school hallways or um, any of any of the, uh, the the stuff of my childhood. I just think about mm-hmm. um, those experiences, and I didn't know how I was going to feel about these records, them being mm-hmm. you know um, so new. But um, yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm just finding myself like very uh, connected to what what he's what Dave's doing right now yeah yeah I don't uh I don't disagree which is what makes it tough yeah um all right top half yeah number three please heal um I agree with what you said you know again objectively I probably appreciate Havasu and Phoenix more as sort of pieces of art um but there are a lot of my favorites, as you said, on Achilles heel. Like there's a lot of bangers here. Yep. There are some misses probably. It is sort of the like messiest Pedro album, maybe. Sure. Um, lots of like, you know, swings and, and different vibes. Um, but he keeps swinging. He keeps swinging. So yeah, I think it, it, it has to sort of go. I was wondering if it would be below. It's hard to find a friend, but at the end of the day, I'm just like, ah, if you stack those two up, Achilles heel is much more sort of accomplished and interesting. I think even if I yeah. am more nostalgic on the whole for it's hard to find a friend and, and kind of um, there aren't sort of, there isn't that sort of uh messiness, I would say. Um, but I appreciate those keep swinging big swings. Um, so it makes top half for me. Um, you probably have a sense at this point. <laughs> yes where we're going so three is phoenix for me yeah um i originally had achilles heel phoenix Havasu. it's hard to find a friend okay. mm-hmm. but i spent some time just thinking in about the songs and l- listening to the songs again and 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 i and and phoenix was easily the record this season that i Mm. uh was most profound for me and yeah uh (laughs) i talked about like how i've been processing the these these two newer albums in therapy and the songs that he's been right he's he's written and um you know uh powerful taboo and quietest Mm. friend um and what he's it's in is interesting the you know the what you talked about with sunrise how i'm like yeah it's not my favorite mm. but like how it sort of comes back around with piano bench yeah. and it's so it, good man. and then from the last song of you know leaving the valley and then into havasu it just like yeah it, it really of, is good <laughs> kind of becomes a piece and um Plus, you know, yellow bike, clean up, powerful taboo, just yeah, banger, banger, banger. I just found myself being like, wow, this is I mean, it's a great, it's a great fucking record. And it is. I did not foresee this being top three, but you know, here we are. Yeah. I you make a compelling case. I'm still very sort of <laughs> dude, it waffly. was it was it was hard. Like like I said, Achilles heel was my number three. And yeah. I was like, I don't know. Cause then I was like, well, well, I'll I'll explain my thinking in a in, sure. in a second. But you know, it's t- it was really tough. I was, I was like, uh, this is this is unfair. 
very very rude to phoenix to have <laughs> me put it in sixth place but yeah i really do waffle i mean i think of those two as being so of a piece it's hard to sort of parse them out so maybe you're right i really do go back and forth on whether i prefer phoenix over havasu i think yeah i made my argument already i guess i'm sticking with it but boy sure. quietest friend alone yeah i know might be kind of enough to almost make me push it up instead but anyway sticking with that for now yep uh okay yeah top two i don't think it'll be a surprise for you yeah number two control yeah um same i think yeah so we got the same top two yes <laughs> two control one winners never quits yep i think that we will probably be outliers in naming winners as our favorite um probably I would think that most people would name Control, as Brandon did. It's probably the sort of definitive Pedro album in a lot of ways. Um, It's the sort of, I don't want to say breakthrough, but I feel like Control was like having a sort of moment um, in the sort of indie world, a level of success he hadn't had before. And looking at it sort of, you know, as Brandon was saying, like it, it had the like punk element that I loved at the time. I was very yeah. much in sync with its sort of questioning uh, capitalism and, uh, yeah. you know, WTO and stuff like that at the time. It was very much what I needed when I was, you know, 19 or 20 or whatever. Um, and so there was a long time where I would have named Control my number one. I think, again, almost like nostalgia plays a big role here because I, I like this I think he's more sort of like artistically successful on have a soon Phoenix obviously a very different vibe from control where I said you know sometimes it's a little on the nose or whatever but like front to back there's not a a note I don't love on control and um it's so powerful still um Brandon named those drums. I think that's yep. a big reason why I love it so much. The drums yep. are absolutely wild on that record. Um, and I don't know, I, I kind of not worried, but was curious about going through it again today in such detail, like what it's sort of lower in my estimation. And it hasn't, it's still so good. So um, good. <laughs> captures a specific moment, but it's, it's, I just, I can't, I did wrestle a little bit with whether, it even should be my number one. Um, but winners takes it for reasons I'll get to in a minute. I don't know. What do you what do you want to say about your number two control? Um I think control has so many uh perfect songs. I love um the the concept out uh, the the back to back of winners and control with the concepts yeah are just so effective and compelling and i love those these two records is for the storytelling but then when you factor in what you're talking about like the more aggressive side of things that he takes Mm -hmm. and starts getting into more keys and synthy parts it's just like yeah takes you can start to see Dave becoming what he will become more and more, more experimental, more noisy, more textures. And, Mm. um, and I, and I love that, but, um, you know, 
to talk about, uh, you know, my number one, Winners Never Quit, mm-hmm. you know, eight songs and all yep. of them are perfect. Yes. <laughs> it is a perfect record. Um, it all works for me so yep. perfectly. I, it's an, it's a non-skip. There's not, it's yep. not a skipping record for me. I agree. It may not have the like punch for punch of control, but that's part of why I love it is it, it covers a lot of um, different sonic and sort of like genre ground for him um, yeah. and sort of thematic. I, I think it's, I think it's his strongest sort of, of the like concept album things. It's the most sort of, you know, consistent thorough narrative and i still think the narrative is really powerful today and yeah i don't know i i mean a mind of her own and never leave a job have done go so hard as hard as, as control but yeah then you got slow and steady wins the race and bad yep. things to such good people which are two of my very favorite pedro or Bazan songs of all time and i feel like at the end, end of the day i'm like any album that has those two songs on it <laughs> plus these songs that go really hard plus these other weird sort of trippy songs right um whereas we said you're sort of feeling like dizzying or like really letting the narrative take control of how the songs sound and the sonic quality and being taken over by the storytelling i just think it's you can't really compare to that variety of songs and kinds of storytelling and yeah again anything with those two acoustic songs in particular just mean so much to me. So I'm like, Oh, it's got both of those. It's, it's gotta be on the top of my list. I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you that I'm like kind of going into this season. I hadn't, I kind of thought like, man, I love winners so much. I wonder if there's anything that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, that, that will, you know, usurp, usurp it. And it's like, well, no, as much as I, love control and the new records um you know it's with only only uh uh curse your branches you know not Mm. you know being disqualified by a technicality you know (laughs) right you know it's uh it's you know it's it's always been winners yep if we threw in the bazan stuff it's like do you do the LPs? Do you do EPs? Are we throwing headphones? Low time overseas? Uh, you know, I, it's it, it just gets very messy. Um, I will say the Bazan solo stuff contains some of my favorite Bazan and or Pedro songs ever. Uh, as we said, Christy Branches would probably top this for me, but that feels like a different sort of animal in, in some ways. Uh, too much for us to sort of wrap our yeah. arms around within this brief context, but and um, with what uh, Brandon was saying too, that some of these things, some of these eras of, of yeah. Dave's work feel separate, and yes. and and yeah, the the era of uh, Pedro 1.0 and Pedro 2.0, there's like the you know cream filling in between that of like all of this <laughs> solo work. Right. And the sandwich of it is all, it's all the same guy. He makes up mm. all the parts, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it's hard to be like, you know, of this cookie metaphor I'm, I'm making. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, you take away the filling and then you just got like, 
you know, it's like, oh, you're taking away the that one part. Right. It's like that's what makes it the cookie. But then you're just like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, this metaphor is getting a little way away from me for a, a little bit. But you you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Give me all the bazan cookies you got. Um, <laughs> but we, of course, would love to hear folks' album rankings. We will throw that out on the socials. Yeah, uh, yeah I wonder how much sort of controversy there is here my my guess is that most people have the newer records lower too for the reasons we said but yeah you know you've got phoenix up there quite high um, i do i do so i mean yeah, if a record I'm, if a record makes me cry then i, yeah. I don't feel like i can well I'm, i think that's <laughs> six for six here for me <laughs> so, yeah which yes. is also why it's unfair <laughs> right you know. um but yeah uh uh fun and challenging exercise here <laughs> curious to hear what others have to say i might because i am a sadist i might like try to uh throw in all the bazan records and see how that uh, would yeah. shake out hey that's um, that's that's your prerogative if you, if you don't want to go to sleep tonight <laughs> right uh speaking of one. speaking of challenges mm, yes time to transition over to our set lists how mm. impractical are they going to be <laughs> Perhaps if you're someone like John, who's tried to be like, well, that, they wouldn't play that. Uh, you might throw all that out the window this season because talking about your all-time number one dude. So <laughs> I tried to like not go fully like, oh, only like five people ever heard this one. And that's really the one that I got to hear if I'm going to hear him live. But it's also, I mean, it's this is like the weirdest possible Bazan set ever. It wouldn't happen, but it's stuff I haven't seen or seen a lot and so mm -hmm. that had to play as somebody i've seen so many times sure. and that's maybe like a little different from some of the bands we've covered i mean mxpx and five iron sure seen them many times but like not like 20 plus times or whatever so i don't know i tried to sort of I, i've seen a lot of the bazan stuff solo or maybe with a band but i'd really like to see full synth versions live um mm. big surprise there that i'm heavy on the bleeps <laughs> and bloops yeah but I haven't seen him do a lot of that like, capturing the synth sound live. So that informed a fair amount of mine. That's the context I'll give. Uh, yeah. Do you want to say anything up top? Um, no other, well, other than that, we sort of fudged our own rules yes. a little bit here because we felt like, well, first off it's our show. We can do whatever we want, <laughs> right. but that, <laughs> It felt, I, I said, I texted you and the, uh, my direct quote was 10 songs is bullshit. And so then we sort of decided that, you know, you know what, why don't we give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room of yeah. what, you know, if we're defining the set lists, then we get to right, decide right. what it looks like. You know, you're saying, Hey, maybe, maybe I can't do 10 songs and I'm saying, Hey, maybe I can't do only pedro songs maybe maybe i'm gonna include some songs we've never talked about on the podcast which is a first for us um i will say i did go into the bazan solo realm a bit and yes there may be a song or two that we haven't talked about on the pod but again this is my exercise i want to see this set list oh it'd be so great and yeah they all they all do blur together for me a bit sometimes i forget what is a Bazan song and what's a Pedro song. And especially sure. when you're seeing them live, it's like, I've seen a lot of iterations of these songs. And so this is what I would most want to see. Do you want to go first or should I? You can go first. All right. I will say 
when we've been covering punk, I've tried to sort of stick to this ebb and flow thing of like, this is sort of the hardcore section. This is where we open up the pit. Oh, right, right, right. We'll ease off here a little bit. Um, it was a different, different structure this time around. Um, but I did kind of try to follow a sort of sonic feeling order. Um, so I'm kicking things off with the song you don't know, which is How I Remember. Uh, it's from the Fewer Moving Parts, Dave Bazan EP, his first solo EP. It's such a banger. It has this completely rad synthy ending, um, real like Nintendo-y sounds. Um, and it also just like kicks off immediately with the full band and a ring in the background. And it's just a very propulsive song. I love a, you know, hard hitting, going big opener, the lights are flashing. So that's where I'm at from my number one. Next, we go to With You, another song you probably don't know, which is off of the Dave Bazan LP Blanco. Um, it's a very bleepy bloopy, propulsive one. I think it'd be really high energy live. Um, I've never really seen it with all the bleeps and bloops that the album version has. Um, and I would love to kind of transition from this electric guitar driven banger of an opening to a bleepy bloopy, you know, even cranking up the levels a little bit more, getting that energy up for the second one. Um, be great to see that live. Number three, pull back a little bit first drum set mm. you know at least for the first half of the song we're pulled back a little bit but i can testify that this is a great live one because i just saw it a couple weeks ago um and you know it, it's obviously you can you can sense listening to it on the record that this will be a great live song because it really takes you on a journey and once that band comes in boy is it so satisfying and as the drums build throughout the song it's great yep yep, yep. so yeah for me we're cooling things off a little bit with that first half, but then by the time the band is going wild on the end, you're just so pumped. Then we go into the fleecing. Uh, hmm. Different era, different mode, but this is one I would really want to see live. I'm sure I have, but again, like with that full synthy line in it, I think would make a big difference. Um, I would like to transition from the crunchy guitar, Havasu era to Pedro to the Achilles heel, a little weirder, uh, kind of sleeker and bouncier thing he was doing in that era. Then moving away from synths, uh, I mean, moving, moving, well, I guess we're still in synths here, but Teenage Sequencer. Mm. Um, it's not synthy in the sense that it's bleeps and bloops, but it's it's got that sequencer aspect, the underlying beat that uh, that builds with the other elements. But again, this is a new one. I will always want to see live. And again, I saw it a couple weeks ago. It was great. I always wanted to do it now. Sort of a sweet, quieter moment in the set. You know, we're pairing things back a bit um, after that, uh, after the fleecing. And then out of that, back to keyboards. Bless this mess. Uh, curse your branches. I want a really big sound. It's such a rocker. I want that organ sound. I want that like bass synth sound. I want the hand claps. When I saw this one live on the tour for the record, I was just like, Ooh, this is great. And he really pulled it off. So I would like to see that again. Then a little bit of a weird turn here, the five chord, which is a headphone song. 
Okay. Uh, we are talking headphones on Patreon this week. Had to fit it in there. I had to make another case to you as sort of a fudging things with the right. song where this was a song that only came on the iTunes release, um, but is, uh, spoiler alert, my favorite song on the headphones record. Mm. Um, if you want to say it's on the record, I'm going to say that it is. It's been included in different versions of it, and I think a lot of people know it now. But I mainly got it here because... I think it would be really cool to hear a headphone song in a Pedro set at this point. Um, and this is probably my favorite headphone song. Um, this is kind of the one like, oh shit, like deep cut <laughs> moment I allowed myself here. But it's such a bop. It's a, here's what I would do. I would hold the big cacophonous ending of Bless This Mess. And like, then the drums come in for five chord on top of that which is like which we'll hear in the patreon um so anyway i would just love to see that transition i'd love to see a set of pedro that includes bazan and headphones and pedro and just all the stuff so then move into aforementioned quietest friend hmm. uh another one that i i kind of have to see live now if i ever see him do a set i'm like hoping that he's gonna play quietest friend so good live really satisfied me um from what i was hoping it would be um, and kind of a going out with the last big song before cooling down next couple songs. Um, so that's the high of sort of the biggest, uh, biggest noise of quietest friend. And then uh, in stitches. Oh, interesting. Curse your branches. I don't know that I've ever seen this one live with a band. I may have on that tour. Um, and I remember they sort of did a version that didn't have piano and kind of transposed that stuff to guitar and bass. And it sounded great. You know, would I love to see a version that did have the full piano? Yes. I think that'd be great, but I'd really love to see this one either way. It's one of my favorites was on or Pedro songs, as we talked about last week, maybe not the most high energy ending for a set, but this is where I'm sort of fudging things in the way that you might be where mm -hmm. I'm imagining that we're sort of leaving things on this powerful note of the ending and then you know he'd be coming back out for an encore. Absolutely. Those things out, right? right? So that's that's song nine for me. And I'm allowing 10 to be my encore. So did things, you know, a little bit differently there maybe. But I'm imagining he comes out for the sort of fake encore. It's just Dave and the acoustic guitar. And he plays bad things to such good people. Uh, one of my favorites, absolute favorites of his. I've seen Slow and Steady enough. You know, it, it is maybe my favorite Pedro song, but I'm just like, I'd rather see this one live at this point in my life. It would be great to see it again. And I think it would be a cool ending to the set. It'd be really powerful. Him, him strumming those double time chords, just him when he leaves the stage. It'd be great. So that leaves us five Pedro songs, mostly new stuff, four Bazan songs, and one headphone song. So tried to get different eras in there. A weird set, but one that like once I put the list together, I was like... I really would like to see this. I want to see these songs going in and out of each other. So let me hear yours. All right. So I I conceded that you could do non-Pedro songs that we didn't discuss <laughs> for your set list if I could have a 12 song song set list where yes. 10 is the main set and then two yeah. are the encore. I think that's fair. Yeah. 
and being as though seeing as though i've never seen dave or pedro live yeah i you know some of the songs i have on my list were probably are ones that you said like yeah i've seen this before so yeah yeah. but i will say that even with your uh your non the stuff that i've never listened to as Uh uh being included in your list we we still shared four songs okay that's pretty good so um but i opened with uh slow and steady okay i feel like i want to see yeah that as an opener because i think that would be uh i mean that would just get me so pumped because yeah i I would love to just belt out and sing all of those words yeah man um as we talked about with brandon i love that the uh the the first pedro show after they reunited that he captures at the end of the movie the first song they play is slow and steady so great yeah um so and i know that them playing full band would make it so it's not like uh like this is a slow start to (laughs) the set so you know it's going to be because there's the uh, you know when i arrived at... <laughs> yeah so it, it, it goes yep. it goes a little harder live than it, than, than it does on the record but yeah though i do Great love choice. both variations yes um then uh keep it going a little bit with mm. powerful taboo love it i wanted to have a you know a nice big sort of power chord kind of song mm, yeah um going from i want to i want to keep the energy up a little bit at the very start um so uh and i wanted to represent early on i i wanted to get a newer a newer mm. song in there yeah um follow that up by indian summer yep uh in in our minds <laughs> the per, these performances have all of the instruments that we want them to have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the like uh-huh. I, I want like hearing yes. that blare out from the stage. Yeah. Would be so great. And then the the do do <laughs> the yeah. bass coming in. Oh, I'd be so psyched. Um and I would also be curious to see how he would change the lyrics. Yes. Um, for corporate come. Yes. Uh follow that up by with a first drum set mm-hmm. you know so we're slowing it down a little bit mm-hmm. uh i you know you said that you saw it it's and it does seem like a good live yeah uh live song and wanted to get some new some new shit in there um but then i got to go back to winners cuz we need a little mind of our own Oh, yeah. Good call. You know, just, you know, to remind everybody. (laughs) Ah, it's so good. It's so great. You put down that telephone. Um, So I follow, got to follow that up, that banger up with the fleecing. You know, you asked me if this was going to be on my list and... (laughs) It was. It has to be. It has to be. Yep. You know, it's. It has the song. The song has everything. Yep. But uh, like I said, you know, yes, Achilles' heel was lower in my list, but this song 
yeah, rule. it's an all timer. It's yeah. an all timer. There's so many cool. There's some other songs on that I that are on Achilles' heel that I think would be really interesting to see live. But obviously, I can't put every song on there. And I think the policing tops out any other other song at this point uh, that I would like to see from Achilles' heel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe in the future after I've seen seen pedro and dave moore uh my set list will be a little bit more adventurous sure. like yours but you know i'm a i'm a basic bitch you know i no. want to see i want to see the hits adventurous or like ridiculous but... <laughs> unrealistic yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh, hey, uh dave are you gonna play uh that song that was an exclusive that no one's <laughs> ever heard uh no we'll not be playing <laughs> that one yeah <laughs> It's like stop talking about masks. Play another song. <laughs> oh, uh, Ooh, I'm sorry. No, I I won't be playing the five chord. Sorry, guy. <laughs> uh, follow that up with when we fall. Cool. Uh, I wanted to get some cursor branches in here. I love the sort of the style of yeah his sort of alt alt country ish Americana mm. stuff that he has going on in this record. Um, yes. I mean, when it starts out that way, you're just having a fun time. You know, you're in for a good time. Yep. Did I call it when we fall? I meant when we fell. When we fell. Whatever. You're, um, you're a basic bitch. So. I'm a basic, I'm a basic <laughs> bitch. And you know, I don't know how much he does. If he's, uh, if he gets back to the living room shows, how much he does. If he's gonna do mm. play the hits, or if he'll go back to playing curse your branches stuff or it's like, been a while since i've seen when we it's been a while since i've seen when we fell live i gotta mm, say but that would be very fun mm, well another one i'd like to see never leave a job half done hell yeah uh, you know love all these mind, winter songs a mind of her own uh, never leave a job half done are a pair to me so yes you gotta you can't have one without the other in my yep. opinion and the, the the that opening we we talked about it on the winners episode so good man it's it and then the bass coming in oh it's all it's so good i would be so the, ba, ba, da, ba, yeah ba, ba, you end you end with that everybody would be everybody would be so good for the, what a great live song that is yeah. all right moving on quietest friend so this is where the uh, things in the set are going to get a little bit, a little bit weird. <laughs> um, Quietest friend, uh, you know, it's all, albeit on a new record. I think we have both determined that this song is an all timer, absolutely, and and a very emotional song that I yep. deeply appreciate. Yep. And I would like to hear all the weird stuff, <laughs> you know, in the the latter half of the song, and see what mm-hmm. they could do with that, do with that live. Um, maybe a song I thought I would see on your set list that I decided to add to mine. Uh, second Oof, best. Gosh, that is one <laughs> of my favorites. Live songs. Um, after hearing you talk about it, and and after yeah, you know, listening to it again recently, I was like. Man, uh, this the intensity of this song plus the drums just yeah. on this record in general. I'm like, man, what a way to you know 
get to the end of a set yeah. with like the intensity of that song. I considered it. Even though the it's tone to, is a little is a little It's heavy. Heavy, but you know. But the like live you're just yeah. like oh man <laughs> drums <are> like <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing but uh, crashes over and over me. and over again. <laughs> it's a good set um hey well he he leaves the stage and people are yeah. like whoa that's a weird <sighs> that's a weird drop, way to drop, drop. Two just like every show songs. <laughs> two more songs you're like all right how about we get into a little bearing witness? Ooh, throw like back, that. throw back to some some curse your branches. Um, maybe that'd yeah. be a very fun <laughs> start to an on tour. Yeah, especially a nice palate cleanser. Yes, after, after second best. That's good. Um, and then a maybe a curious ending song, but. I thought, gotta end with, gotta end with the new shit. Gotta mm. end maybe a little bittersweet. We are ending with Teenage Oof. Sequencer. Perfect. Um, specifically because I wanted to have. Yeah. Oof. You gotta chill. Bill was wrong. Fucking Bill. And you wished you had stayed through the end of our song. Perfect. And that's and so that's it. the end of our song. The end of our know, set. End Ugh. of our set. I love and, it. <laughs> yeah. So even though it might be a little bit of a weird, bittersweet ending. Oh, I, I love it, man. Yeah, I was like, I gotta I gotta throw in This is a great set. It's more realistic than mine. Uh, is it is it though i mean well, i don't know it include. it's probably more like encompassing it includes multiple songs from a lot of the favorite albums i don't know i think it's really really good i would love to see it maybe second best wouldn't be there maybe the curse your branches wouldn't be there maybe. uh i Gosh, don't know second best though man it is <laughs> you may remember me <laughs> <laughs> Might have to go back to <laughs> me going, yeah, second verse, like I did at that one show. It's like, Until Dave finally nope. like, I'm not playing that one. <laughs> um, but Johnny wanted to hear it then. He still wants to hear it now. I mean, uh, our dude Jason from LA coming in with that intel on the uh, Discord that streets are talking about a possible control uh, 20th, 21st anniversary tour. He did a 10th anniversary tour, and I was like, well, he can't do another one because that one just happened. That was just a few years ago. I'm like, oh, shit, that was 10 years ago that he did the control tour, <laughs> which rules. Are so old. <laughs> you're old. I would welcome another. You know, part of me is like, ah, oh, he's done that. But I'm like, ah, if he wants to do another control tour, I'm not. <laughs> you're going to fault the dude for wanting yeah, no, to do another I, control I, tour? We'll see that anytime. Um, yeah, every 10 years, bro. Just Yes, please. Just... <laughs> that sounds great. Um, well, that's was great that was very fun um it was an interesting challenge for somebody whose songs i know so well uh yeah and who i've seen so many times in so many different eras but this is great i would i would happily see either of these sets we will see him together in some iteration someday and uh, boy that'll be great um i'm sorry that you've been deprived so many, so many tears i know man. so much weeping so many yeah. so many dave hugs i'm sure Ugh. So we'll bring Doug and 
he'll understand. Be like, Doug, this is about. this is the guy who has moved me to tears in multiple yeah. therapy sessions. David would be like, Oh great, man, right on. <laughs> um well, those are our set lists. Yes. Please please uh call in right in with your ideal Dave set lists, however that looks for you. Um I don't know what's coming next for him. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I'm excited to see. I think Santa Cruz is coming. We know we got Santa Cruz coming, but I'm like, are we due for another living room tour? You know, I know he was mentioning that this this time around for Pedro, that's you know, a lot of the reason why he switched to Pedro is to sell tickets well again at clubs and it was maybe a little more sparsely attended, but the world's a weird place right now. Yeah. Um, whatever happens, I will be very excited to be there, especially after all this work we've been doing with his texts this season yeah um so what a great time uh maybe maybe a depressing stretch for some folks <laughs> but uh you know you got those martin brothers coming up next there's some Ooh. weird stuff in there to be fun got a fun guest coming up to talk about a couple of fun guests coming up the Ooh. next few weeks um but yes in the meantime let us know what you think about pedro about today's episode about our conversation with brandon vetter at magnified pod on instagram facebook and twitter Follow and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 872-7-MAGPOD. You can support us at the Patreon at patreon.com slash magnifiedpod, where this week we'll be getting into the headphones record, uh, beloved one album side project uh for dave that uh i know some folks are interested in, in hearing us talk about i'm very eager to get into that <laughs> check that out over there you can also pick up some new season four merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com thanks to small step records for sponsoring us go to smallstepbreckards.com to learn more and thanks to shadow producer jason and bruno at unoriginal vinyl for our artwork well i think i hear the voice of the spirit begging us to shut the fuck up We'll be back to try to make you go astray next week when we'll discuss Starflyer 59's The Fashion Focus with a special guest. Ooh, baby. It really just, the pleasure center in my brain is just popping up. crying (laughs) (laughs) oh man i remember texting this to you months ago before yeah long before we got to just be like this song makes me cry just get ready (laughs) yeah man it's uh it these albums these new albums do something to me that i i that and i think it's because i don't know if we did talk about this that the the these earlier records were all intellectual and now these yeah, are all like yeah. emotional. So like they, yep. they hit in such different ways. So totally. thank you, John, for being my Pedro <laughs> Sherpa and happy to guiding me through these records. <laughs> that's, that's another brand new sentence. Um, <laughs> yes. Happy to, you know, if anybody has any follow-up uh, questions about Pedro that I can, <laughs> It's really going to be hard for me to let go talking about my dude every week. So uh, yeah, if you want to start a book study or something, <laughs> you just let me know. For more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.